What's up, guys? On this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about things that make me rant when it comes to sports performance and it comes to fitness. If you've ever been out of the gym, you may have heard some of these things, and sometimes I just go off on these big rants that just it just irks me, it frustrates me uh, about maybe some general ideas about these topics or things that I see when it comes to training that I just really wish would change. And other sports performance coaches, if you're listening to this, uh, please reach out. And if you have the same things that irk you, it'd be, it'd be great to know because it, it can be so frustrating. And I'm going to go over just an overview of the topics we're going to talk about. I might go off on a different tangent with some of these topics as I, as I get started talking here. But we're going to talk about push-ups. We're going to talk about burpees. We're going to talk about speed training versus conditioning and, and, and the importance of actually doing speed training versus just beating the crap out of your athletes. We're going to talk about burnout uh, with athletes and some of the coaching and parenting, parenting components that come in with that. We'll talk about youth athletics and weight training. Uh, and then I'm going to talk about what I call flexing and conditioning in the preseason for athletes. And we'll, we'll touch on all of those. We're not in necessarily that direct order, but the first thing that we're going to talk about or start off with is push-ups, 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 <sighs> push-ups. They're used so often. Are push-ups good? Yeah, I like push-ups. I, I do. But more than often than not, I'll have an athlete come in and, and like, can they do a really good push-up? And depending on their age, you know, it could be hit or miss, but I would say a high percentage of the time, no. There's just not really good push-ups being done. And, and so when it comes to that, when, when we talk about a good push-up, I think we should define what a good push-up is or, or kind of, I guess, the best textbook definition of what a push-up is because i think there can be different variants like well this is what they do in the military well this is what they do here this is what they do here for me a good push-up is your feet can be together or separated i usually like separated your hands are going to be you know slightly wider than your shoulders not super wide on the hands or you know, relatively underneath the shoulders the elbows are not staying super tucked they're staying in a smooth position where they're staying close to your side but not winged out and you're able to go down to the floor. Let's say someone put their fist down on the floor. You're able to touch your chest to that fist and go back up without having, you know, it's just one piece up, one piece down. There's not a lot of wiggle going on. There's not your shoulders doing this. This is doing this. Your your belly's down. You're, you, you look like you're, you know, a grandpa getting off the floor. That's not what it should look like. And more often than not, I'll see coaches or, and I don't want to direct this. I'm not directing this towards anyone. It's just kind of commonalities that I see over, you know, coaching or things that I've seen over the past years or, or, or whatever it is, you know, even on social media, doing push-ups as punishment. And you'll see these athletes doing push-ups and they're just terrible. It's just like, what are you doing? You know, you got a lacrosse athlete or, or something, you're doing push-ups and, and, and their shoulder health is important or a baseball athlete and the shoulder health is important. And you're just doing, we're doing sloppy push-ups or using push-ups as a punishment it drives me nuts. So the, the way to fix this concept or to look at this concept as is, is, is best as possible is A, teaching it correctly. Like this is what it should look like. Okay, we're lacking strength in our core. We need to tighten up here. Or uh, another easy one is when you're in a push-up position, there's four points of contact. There's your hands um, and then there's your feet. And so often we'll think about the hands that we don't think about the feet. Your feet need to be locked in where your feet are dorsiflex, your knees are, are, are pretty stable and locked in position. And that way you're able to come up as one piece versus a wave. Uh, so you start off at the gym, we start off with hand release push-ups. 
being able to push all the way off the floor um, as one piece as best as possible, and then really being able to control that down as one piece as possible as best as possible without flopping to the floor. And this is a good little regression where it makes the push up a little bit more difficult versus, and then also a little, definitely a little bit easier to work from there to build up to the point where you can actually do a very stable controlled push up where you're not waving, your shoulders aren't collapsing, your shoulder blades aren't coming together. Uh, and I, I, I think it's just it's it's so simple, and I think it would be done more across the board where you're doing those hand release push ups and and this kind concept is directed not towards just being a punishment, but something that should be looked at being as as something that's efficient when an athlete is younger to become better at because it is so simple and so foundational. And the last thing we'll talk about on push-ups, and this is a, this is, I'll paint a picture here, and, uh, and hopefully this helps out with this concept and like, well, why is this important? If I were to tell you to put your hands up, so you're, put, you're putting your hands up and you're, you had a truck in front of you and it was stuck in some mud and you were to put your hands up in the air. And then once you put your hands, go ahead and reach it out like you're going to put on the truck and then bring your hands back to your chest whereas, where you would push from, where are your hands at? Uh, your hands are going to, you're not going to be wide with the elbows. You're not going to be super wide with the hands. And that's because we're not designed to push stuff that way efficiently. You wouldn't go super wide with your hands. You wouldn't go super wide with your elbows. It's going to put the shoulder in a compromised position if you're going to push like that. So why are we pushing our body off the floor like that or, or compromising to do like that? And it's probably because lacking the strength or just body control to do it well. So let's figure out a little regression to work on getting to that point where we can push our body off the floor well. And this topic goes straight into burpees because not that they're relatively similar, but burpees. Mike Boyle, I've I've mentioned Mike Boyle on here several times. Mike Boyle, talked about burpees at least once if not several times on on his instagram and how like no and i've talked to several pts about burpees and, and i know they're more common like crossfit and, and things along those lines where they'll have people in a physical therapy setting will have athletes or you know just anyone that's training doing so many burpees that they have shoulder injuries or all this going on it's just like why burpees are to do them at a high repetition, flopping to the ground, and, and we already and athletes can't already do a push up. Even if you're already if you're going down in the burpee, just not a big fan. I feel like there's just other ways of getting whether okay, what are you doing the burpee for? You're doing the burpee for a punishment? Are you doing the burpee because your athletes hate it? So well, let's do this because you know I I, I like them or whatever it is. You got to think of it from a standpoint from a youth athlete. Can they do them well? Is there really a point to us flopping down in the ground when we could just be doing other things for conditioning or we could just segment this and when we're doing more push-ups and, and doing other components that are similar to burpees that are segmented, regressed, whatever they are at the, 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 the at the degree at which the athlete can handle and do it well. Even an older athlete or just, you know, someone that looking to do fitness with burpees, doing it at a high rate is just a lot of stress on your body and impact for the shoulders. So I just, no, no, with the bur- I just like, no, I don't, we don't do burpees. I'm never going to do burpees. Uh, it's just not a thing we're going to do. I don't like them. And you know, that's obviously some of that's definitely my opinion, but no burpees. Next thing. And this one, th- these are going to be my, my favorite ones to talk about. And these will probably go off in some tangents here pretty aggressively. I wanted to get those two kind of in the beginning out first speed training versus conditioning. And I'll explain what I mean here. When it comes to training speed, whether it's, you know, we're talking more acceleration, top end speed, sprinting, or you can even go into the direction of, okay, we're doing change direction stuff or agility, whatever it is, just overall training of some component of being faster in whatever way, shape or form. If you want to be doing true, true speed training, then you have to take breaks. You can't do a hundred reps in a setting 
because once you get to a certain degree of doing, you know, reps too quickly or doing too many reps in a setting, you're not even doing speed training at that point. You know, at that point, you're doing conditioning, and it, it, it's it, it's frustrating to me. And I'll get into more of the sciences behind this one as well, and, and kind of justify what I'm saying. It's frustrating to me if I you know, hear an athlete that's doing training or you know conditioning or whatever they're doing, and they're just like, "Yeah, oh, I'm throwing up. Uh, blah, you know, I feel terrible." Or we're going this and this, and it's the first time I've ever thrown up. It, it it drives me nuts because if you're doing speed training and you're you're there for that component, if you're trying to get faster and you're working at that rate, and I know you're a pretty conditioned or in shape athlete then you're not doing speed training. You're doing conditioning and conditioning at a high rate. And you're not going to, you're not going to be able to get faster in that realm of training. If you're just constantly doing that because of several reasons, a, you're just going to be beating yourself up all the time. And you're going to have a hard time of, of coming back in and doing training. And a lot of athletes are always in season. So when they're in season, you know, they can't, they can't sustain that kind of workload, um, with being in season and trying to do their training, you know, when they're doing that six days a week, it's too much. We want to work smarter, not harder in this sense. And then once we, we get smarter at stuff, then, we, then we're able to work harder or work at a faster rate and be faster as an athlete. And it doesn't come with just repetitively doing all these crazy drills or just a, a, a rapid rate. And one of the uh, kind of stories I tell with this is if you think about it from this standpoint, when it comes to speed training or just training overall, we're going back to a truck. Let's say you got a truck in front of you and you have to push this truck let's say 10 yards. Okay. So you need to push the truck 10 yards and I want to move, I want you to move it as fast as you possibly can, uh, for that 10 yard distance. Let's say the first time you push the truck, you push the truck and it takes you, we'll say, we'll just keep the numbers really easy. Let's say it takes you 30 seconds and then literally 30 seconds to a minute later, we'll say, we'll say 30 seconds. We'll keep the brakes pretty short or even actually let's go 15 seconds, 15 seconds. You got to do it again. How fast are you going to be able to push that truck? It's probably going to take you a minute. And then I give you another 15, 30 second rest and it's going to take you a minute and a half. You're so exhausted that you can't push that truck at a faster rate. And obviously that's more difficult than just doing a sprint because you're pushing something heavy. But let's say instead when you push the same truck, same distance, and I give you a minute, two minute break, obviously a two minute break would be pretty long for doing sprints, depending on the distance of your sprint or your intensity and what you're doing. But you're going to be able to push it at a faster rate because that longer break and then over a period of time, because you're working at a faster rate and you're getting quality reps in at a faster rate, you're going to be faster. And it's, it's, it, it sounds so simple, but that's kind of the truth of it. And there's definitely a difference there, like I said, as far as like sprinting. Sprinting, you're not pushing a truck, but you got to take your breaks between your sets. You can't just exhaust yourself to an extent that um, training ends up being, well, I'm working hard, so I'm going to get better. There's in-betweens there. There's, there's definitely efficiency. How efficient are you really being in your training? And that stuff bothers me in the sense of not, it's not as efficient, but sometimes that stuff sells and it's, it's a, it's a lie. And <laughs> it drives me nuts is why well, people look at training in the sense of, well, I worked hard. I, f- you know, I, f- I feel really sore. So I must've had a good workout. I'm going to keep doing this. You know, I, I, no, and it takes a special type of athlete to really enjoy that and, and stay on that course. And, and, and if it works for you and, and, and you're actually seeing benefits out of it, kudos. But and I think for more of the general population, it's not going to work in, in, a, in, in a performance sense, but it's also not going to work in a mental sense. Because if you're always just going that 100% and just being training, go, 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 then you're just going to be beat up. You're not going to be able to, to, to sustain the duration of that training over an extended period of time, especially if you're in season. And then you're going to hate being there. And then over a period of time, your consistency is going to drop, your efficiency is going to drop. And then it's just a whirlwind. It's just a combination of disaster. So smarter, 
not always harder, be efficient, take breaks between sets, go hard in those sets, find your 100% when it comes to speed training. And, and, and hopefully, you know, that makes sense and that helps. So we'll take it in, we'll take this one straight into the next topic that kind of goes along the same lines uh, of this topic. And, and some of these topics will definitely get a little bit more controversial as I go here. And, and again, this is just my opinion and stuff that I see. I'm not directing this towards anyone. I just, you know, having these conversations of stuff that I've seen over the past eight years of being a sports performance coach and things that kind of just like make me boil a little bit. And uh, that's what this, this episode's about. And it, it could be entertaining to you. Hopefully it kind of makes you laugh and or, or makes it gives you a perspective of, okay, that makes sense. Okay, uh, all right, I, I get what he's saying. Burnout. So we're going to talk about burnout. What is burnout? And we're going to be, when we're talking about burnout, we're going to talk about coaching and we're going to talk about parenting involved in burnout and, and athletes too. That you can't, you know, we're not, not, not trying to put blame on anyone, but we're going to talk about burnout overall. Burnout. It happens more often than not, and to say it's not real is 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 relatively frustrating. And not it happens in as much as as often in youth athletes, but I've seen several college athletes. They get to they finally get to that point in college where they've been working really hard. They've been doing their you know waking up early, going to school, doing all this stuff, doing their training. They got to that level in college, and then they get there, and they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And there's certain things you may not perceive when you get to college is when you get to college, you're, you're a freshman again. you got to kind of earn your spot sometimes, and is it worth it? You know, if I, Do I have a scholarship? Am I doing this at what level? And, and burnout happens more often than not, um, more to high, obviously into high school or, or more in the college level, and it's something that needs to be addressed. And, and why, does the, why do these things happen? And there's several factors, um, in my opinion, that makes this happen. And I know there's a lot of books out there that talk about this concept, but but this is kind of just stuff that I've seen over the years. Um, Burnout happens from doing, you know, doing too much, not taking breaks. And I I think I I told myself I'm not going to talk about COVID on this podcast, but COVID had. I'll talk about it a little bit, and we'll break off of it. COVID has, I think, put it in perspective to some of these athletes having more time off, and they're able to do other things, and, and they're kind of rethinking about some of their sports stuff, or they had time off, and now they're enjoying their sports more, and it's because they've had more time to kind of do other things they enjoy, and I think that's important when it comes to an athlete, especially when you get to the high school level, you're usually stuck with doing one sport, because you have to you have to do that one sport. Sometimes you, you can get away with doing two sports, and if you do two sports, the burnout can be even higher, because you're having to work so much, and, and, and do so much for practice, and you're going all the time, you don't have any breaks or school can get really frustrating later on and not putting any blame on this stuff uh, as far as like coaches and parents, but I do want to talk about the perspective of coaching and parenting in this scenario of recognizing an athlete that might be a little bit more fatigued and maybe, you know, trying to get them to have a break or as a coach, are you always just pushing this person? You want to push your athletes and, and push your athletes in the sense of they are doing it because they want to do it, not because you want them to do it. And that can come from a coach or parent standpoint. You know, of a parent is like, uh, you know, not having that open conversation. Are you doing this because you want to do it? Or are you doing it because you're scared that if if you quit, I'm going to be mad at you? And that can be it's a difficult conversation, not only for the the athlete but for the parent. Because as a parent, you want the best for your kids. You know, I I I have a dog, and I I'm, I'm just, I love my dog very much, and it's not even a you know human being, but I want the best for him. Sometimes I can be a little bit harder on him in some of his training or whatever it is. I know I kind of silly to talk about a dog, but those of you guys who know my dog Kylo, he's he's my best friend, and, and we you know we do a lot of stuff together, and 
I want the best for him and it can be difficult to, you know, you're, I'm learning as a dog parent and I can only imagine how difficult it can be as a parent, um, with an athlete. And like they, you know, you put all this time and money into them being, you know, going to the college level, but then they're just kind of fading off a little bit. Having that open conversation can be difficult for both of you, but I think it's important, um, to not just let them quit, but like, look, uh, you know, I understand if you want to you know, pull back here, I do this, or, or, or what are you thinking? I, uh, having that open conversation can be very important because if it's too much push and you're not letting the athletes not able to talk to, you know, a parent like that, then it, it, it can come down to where, you know, the game's over and the parent, you know, a parent can be a little bit harder on their athlete or blame the coach. And then you put this, this split between the coach and a parent and an athlete, and it can be very tricky, but it's just more or less having that open conversation with an athlete as they get older, kind of seeing some of the, 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 uh, the signs of them being burnt out or often tired with their training or not as interested in trying to figure out, okay, how can we work on this not being as much of an issue? What things can we do less of? What things can we do more of? And and trying to get not getting to that point where they're really doing it because they want to do it because as, as, as a youth athlete's getting older, they're starting to become more self-aware. They're starting to have more opinions. They're learning. Parents are learning. Coaches are learning. And that's, uh, I think it's sometimes that athletes don't see this. And it's, I'm, I'm constantly learning on doing things better. Parents are doing the same thing. They're going through a process. And as a younger kid, until you get older, you know, I'm 28 years old, you don't, you don't necessarily realize until you get older, like my parents were learning as I was growing, you know, they're going through different waves of, okay, you're in high school. Now you're in college. Now you're, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that. And and, and it's trying to having that open communication as best as possible to make the scenario as easy as possible and as efficient as possible as I think is important when we're talking about uh, burnout with athletes. The next one, do, 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 do. All right. So we got, we got two more on here. So, this one goes right on the back of the other one, and this one is going to be. This one's going to be. I'm going to be less. Uh, I'll be less lighthearted on this one. I think with that burnout, a little, uh, little snippet there. I, I, I kind of like how I spit that out, and I was. I, I wasn't not getting on anyone. I want. I want. I want everyone to. It, this is an open conversation, and to maybe think anyone that's an athlete, coach, parent to listen to that. And like, okay, that makes sense. Like, I, I get what he's saying. Maybe I can have those conversations. But this one, I'm going to be pretty aggressive with. I call it flexing flexing slash conditioning and this is going to be directed more towards coaches and it's stuff that i have seen when a team is going preseason so we'll just use for example let's say um we'll just say preseason in general for for fall so they're training over the summer when they're training over the summer and when they're training over the summer let's say you have let's say six weeks preseason before you start your season as a coach, and when it comes to conditioning, it's important to not just go aggressively into it. And I'll explain why in detail here. When an athlete comes in, uh, you, you see this more often in like a newer coach, even even at the college level. These athletes come in, and, and, and actually, let me back this up. Let me just go college level with this because this is where I more often see some of this stuff, and you would think that it wouldn't be as much, but it's very apparent, and, and it's just stuff that I hear too. I'm not there watching the sessions. It's just stuff that I hear. Um, but these colleges give out preseason package. You need to do this over the summer. This is what you're expected to do when you come here. Awesome. That's great. I, I, you know, that, that, that's good that an athlete's able to have stuff to do on their own. They're, they're, they're knowing some expectations coming in. But then when these athletes get there, it's just boom, two days. We're going two days all the time, going really, really hard right from the get go. And then there ends up being 
injuries all over the place. Oh, you didn't do your stuff over the summer. Your conditioning's bad. I'm going to punish you. And not only do you get injuries or you get more fatigued athletes that they can't really get through the full season at the high level, you just get so many issues that just can be combated by starting off at a lower rate, figuring out relatively where everyone is in that process. Okay, they didn't do their packet over the summer. Let's try to ease them into this stuff. Not giving where it's soft hands on the scenario, and especially at a college level, you should be, you know, you're expected to be at a college level. You should be able to do these things well. You should have done your packet on your own. I get that. But when you're coming into a preseason, high school, college level, I think it's more important to assess your athletes and you could even do some kind of tests for conditioning, you know, a a pretty short test, assess every single athlete, and then being able to push that athlete at different rates. At a high school level, you might have different ages. Um, You know, some one athlete might play another sport as well as the sport they're playing there. And you can get and just get yourself into a hole when you're when that season starts and you're flexing, we're going hard, we're gonna have a good season and then boom, we're in the hole. And uh, I think it's important to note, it's just ease your athletes into, uh, into training especially on a conditioning component, try to get them healthy to the season for sure. Because if you're already haven't even started the season, you have a lot of athletes injured. That is so frustrating to me. Um, ease them into it, 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 especially if you're not using a sports performance facility to, you know, if you're, you know, if you're doing a preseason sports performance, hopefully that sports performance coach is taking care of all those things for you. So you don't even have to worry about it. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of extra conditioning on top of it and start the conditioning as early as you can. And that, that's reasonable. You know, you can't just immediately go aggressively into stuff. You need to progressively build up the conditioning, progressively build up the training that's happening inside of, uh, um, you know, those preseason weeks. So you get your team into season healthy. They can sustain through season. Everything is going well. Obviously, there's things that are going to happen throughout that preseason or the season that you can't have control of. But that preseason, you really can get control of your team and figure out, OK, where's our starting point? What do I need to do as a coach to ease them in this, into this and really have a good uh, beginning of the season and rest of the season? Last thing that I'm going to talk about is going to be youth athletics and weight training. Now, if you're not a youth athlete or a parent listening to this, I think this is a fun one to listen to. This 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 topic is a fun one to listen to because I'm not going to just specifically talk about uh, the youth athletics, but we'll start there and we'll kind of go off uh, and then I'll finish this thing off. Youth athletics and weight training. What is the proper age to put your athlete into doing some uh, semblance of, of strength training? And more often than not, I mean, I guess this is more or less 50 50. I'll have a younger athlete, let's say they're, you know, I usually, we usually start athletes off at earliest at nine. Um, usually we like to start more like a 10 age just because they've developed a little bit more, a little bit more mature and able to be in a class setting. Uh, so you're 10 years old. And I have a parent ask me, well, I don't want them doing strength training because it's going to stunt their growth, or I don't want them doing strength training because it's not going to be good for them. And the first thing I always respond back with is, is being very understanding because of, of, I guess, more or less this myth that's out there. There's actually a really good uh, video on YouTube that he goes of the history of this, of, of strength training, and they, he goes into the science of it and actual literature that's been written about this concept. His name is Jeff Nippiard. Uh He's on I think I said his last name, right? But he's on YouTube. He has a really good video on this. And actually, I'm going to use some of the stuff from that video in this conversation. But if you think about a youth athlete, let's say you have a 10-year-old um, and that 10-year-old is, let's say, 100, we'll just say 120 pounds, okay? So 120 pounds or 10 years old and you don't want them doing weight training. Think about, let's say we're doing a goblet squat and they've mastered the body weight goblet squat. So that's them squatting their body weight for repetition, and they've got a good form in, they've got good mechanics in, and now we're going to add 10 pounds to them. That's just 10 pounds to the frame over a controlled repetition in which they're having to absorb that weight and then come out. If I were to have them jump and land, 
which most people are okay with their athletes jumping and landing, they're going to be absorbing probably more force than that 10 pound weight um, because of the body weight that they're coming down with and the speed at which they're coming down with. And it's even going to be more so when they're running and changing direction because say they're running at a high speed and they're having to change direction. They're doing kind of the same concept, but in a less controlled manner of absorbing force as they're coming into that you know, that change direction because of their body weight and the speed they're going. And they're usually absorbing that foot, foot uh, that force unilaterally where they're absorbing one leg, one leg, one leg, and they're coming out. So if you let your athlete cut, change direction and jump, it's going to be okay for them to also weight train. The weight training and stunting growth is, is, is very much a myth. And Jeff goes over this in the video. That myth was actually developed or it started off, or they think it started off more so uh, over in, a, I can't remember which country. So I'll just say more of a foreign country. They were, there was youth, a lot of the youth were having stunted growth, but they were working 16 hours a day and carrying and moving heavy things and malnourished and not getting enough sleep. And then started starting their growth. And it's not because of the carrying the heavy things it's because they were working excessive hours, not getting food and not sleeping. That's what really stunted their growth. When you look at weight training and youth athletes, you get actually reducing the risk of breaking a growth plate because they're stronger, their bones are stronger when they're in their sport if they're actually doing strength training when they're younger. So it's it's important to not, obviously, they're not going to do maxes, they're not going to do heavy loads, you know, I don't have any 10-year-olds squatting, you know, a ton of weight and, or, or bench pressing a ton of weight. It's learning that pattern young, ingraining that pattern into their, their neuromuscular system and 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 allowing them to be able to use that component when they get older. So not only do they have that pattern down when they're younger, but they're going to be more efficient. And there's all these good things that happen with starting off a youth athlete, you know, around 10 years old or so with doing those strength training components. Now, are you going to see as big of a jump in the strength that they're going to gain because of it? No, but they'll find the strength through that movement. They'll have a less risk of injury. And then as they get older, uh, they'll be able to do that movement with more weight and they'll be able to get stronger faster because they've already done that pattern over an extended period of time. And this is where I go into what I said. If you're not a youth athlete, well, this, this will make more, this will be something that you, I think you'd be interested in listening to is when should an athlete start strength training? And, and I said, like I said, nine to 10 years old and, and why it's better to start them a little bit younger because as they get older, let's say I have you know a freshman come to me. That's not a bad time to start as far as, as strength training goes. But let's say I have like a, a, a junior try to come to me and want to do strength training. Strength training is really about consistency over time. And if you think about strength training, so we'll use like a squatting for example, uh, for a ten-year-old athlete. They're you know they're doing a simple squat, and they're probably going to be doing anywhere between let's say we're like a three by ten or four by ten, like forty between twenty and forty reps in a session. That's once a week. That's, 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 we'll put it in the middle there. That's 30 reps a week in which they're practicing that movement. And can you squat twice a week? Yes. Are we going to? No. We're going to do more like unilateral stuff like split squats or lunges. We could squat more often, obviously, but it's not a ton of repetition. So it's consistency over time. So then when you get older, you're able to lift more weight. And it's, it's what I call my call training age. Your training age is how much have you lifted overall not you know okay you you train for three months that's your training age that's it it doesn't matter if it was three months over four years or let's say you did three months here and then over three years you did three months so your 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 training age is nine months even though you've you've kind of done over three years no your training age is nine months that's your experience that's your exposure and it's important to note that because it's very important in strength training that you have a good training age at a certain point so then you can develop later on faster uh, and just be a better overall athlete because you're stronger in general because that equates to speed and change of direction. 
So as far as this video goes, that's all I got. And I, I actually kind of kept everything relatively calm. I didn't really go aggressive in this. I, I, I could have definitely went into more, um, you know, more tangents. But I, I wanted to not make this that I'm yelling at anyone or direct it towards anyone whatsoever. Just more of my opinion. Some of the stuff that I think should be thought about more critically um, or things that should relatively change when it comes to uh, some sports performance stuff or fitness overall. Because it's just, it just, it just makes sense. It's just smarter. Um, you, you'll get more efficient athletes, or you'll you'll get more out of your athlete by looking at these components. Whether you're a sports performance coach, or just someone that's in more into fitness stuff, or as a parent, hopefully, I give you some ideas of things to think about when it comes to your training, or what your athlete's doing, or or even or, or you know, parenting or coaching. On the next episode of the podcast. I'm not sure what we're going to do. We'll, I'll figure out the next episode, and that will be up on next Friday. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you guys next time.